We're going to turn to our time of worshiping through God's word here. If you have a Bible or Bible app, you can go ahead and pull it out. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you for you to follow along. We're in the book of Jonah, and we're walking through a sermon series here, uh, walking through Jonah and seeing God's relentless grace. What does that mean? That, That God is actively, constantly in pursuit of you with his love. But sometimes that feels a little prickly. Sometimes it comes off where, where it's through confrontation. It's through correction. It, it's through hard things that rattle our cage, that rattle our world, that rock our boats in order to get our attention, in order for him to wake us up that we can see, hear, and respond to his love. He's constantly in pursuit and using every which way to get a hold of you, to get a hold of me, that we might know him and be set free. And today we're going to be talking about that, that particularly in responding to God's, God's correction and confrontation for sin in our lives. That when God corrects us and confronts us, it's to turn us towards his grace. If God wounds us, if you will, it's to heal us. It's to heal you. We're in Jonah chapter 3. If you have not uh, turned there, go ahead and do so. Jonah 3, we're going to read through the entire chapter here. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now, Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day on his walk in the city and proclaimed, In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, covered himself with sackcloth, And sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree to Nineveh. By order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Who knows? May God... God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we come to you now and... And ask for your help to hear and respond. Lord, as, as, as we read about your, your judgment, your message through the, through the prophet Jonah to Nineveh. This violent people, this pagan people. Filled with all kinds of self-indulgence and wickedness. Lord God, your, your, your correction to them 
it also speaks to us. You are a holy God and you judge all sin. And the word of correction and confrontation comes to us this morning. Lord, help us to hear and respond. To see your kindness in this, Lord God. Your grace, that you are a good father. And Lord, that you have something better for us, Lord Jesus, in yourself. Help us to see, God, where the enemy has us in bondage, Lord God. And, and, and our ears are plugged. Our hearts are calloused. Lord, open, open us up this morning to hear you, to experience you, to encounter you, and be set free, God. Holy Spirit, I, I need you to fill me and come upon me. Lord, as my anxiety is particularly high this morning, and I feel that brokenness, especially, Lord Jesus, would you speak, Lord? Change me, your servant. In your name we pray. Amen. As we come to this portion in the book of Jonah and in the, the the historical account of Jonah going to this nation of 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 Assyria and to the Ninevites in particular, we come finally to the message, the confrontation of God through Jonah. And for those of you who've been following along here, uh, this is this story is a unique story. God God gives this message of judgment. To Jonah, his servant, and Jonah doesn't want to take it to the Ninevites. The Ninevites are this, this, this murderous people, this horribly gore-mongering kind of people who, who have been uh, uh, threatening and terrorizing all the nations around Israel, including Israel itself. And, and Jonah knows that God's message of judgment isn't just a judgment, but it's an opportunity for grace. And so Jonah goes the opposite direction. Jonah runs away from God, and God in his grace rocks his boat, rattles his world, and brings him back to himself. Jonah here is now obediently taking God's message to the people of Nineveh. We talked about last week the significance that God God is moving and calling all of us to faithfulness and sharing about his grace and his love to those around us. Someone else in our lives needs our faithfulness. Every human, every person is an iceberg, and there's more going on in their world. Someone needs our faithfulness. The Ninevites needed Jonah's faithfulness. And so he takes them the message. 40 days, and your world is going to be demolished. Nineveh will be demolished. God is a holy God. This statement of judgment on Nineveh and their sin and their violence, their, 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 their intense self-indulgence. God will judge all sin. He hates sin. He's a perfect God. To be loving is to be just. And we hear the justice of God here, but oftentimes when this message comes out of God's judgment and justice, we, we can oftentimes have these, these uncomfortable images, these, these, these disturbing images of uh, this being that's unhinged in his anger. When we hear about God's wrath, we, hear, we think of an abusive kind of person, right? 
But, but that's partly because we're thinking of human examples and we're putting that on God. Where, where God is, if God is actually God, if he truly exists, then he is perfect in every way. His anger is always right. It's always good. It's for our good. And, and, and this is a, a significant part of today's message of, of separating these, these lies that we've had about God's anger, God's judgment, God's confrontation to us isn't because he doesn't love us. It isn't because he's shaming us. It isn't to hurt us. It's to free us. God corrects us to turn us towards his grace. Away from his judgment as our sins deserve. The Ninevites' sin isn't the only sin that deserves judgment. All sin does. Our sin does. The neat thing about this message, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown is a better word than demolished in the CSB. Overthrown. This word has two different meanings. It means to be demolished, that's to be crushed and destroyed. That's that's one that's one way the word is used. Another way the word, another meaning this word has, is to be turned around. Forty days, and yet in forty days you will be overturned, or in forty days you have forty days to turn it around. Do you hear the difference there? Do you hear the possibility, the the hope that's there? You see, when God gives us correction in our lives, and 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 every time we're in His Word, and and in Sunday mornings, uh, all of these times are opportunities to hear His Word, and He He wants to correct in order to heal us. There's an opportunity to be set free. God's not just looking to to Nineveh to look to just pound them. In in just vindictiveness, you've been naughty. I'm I'm going to hurt you. It's not, that's not what's going on here. God wants us, though, to take our sin seriously. God told Cain early in the, in, in the Bible, in the beginning of humanity, God told Cain, as he had jealousy in his heart towards his brother, sin is crouching at your door looking to devour you. In 2 Timothy 2.22, Paul tells uh, young adults, flee the evil desires of youth. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Along with those who call out of the Lord out of a pure heart. The word is flee. It isn't like tiptoe away from, it's, it might be bad. No, flee. Run! Run! Think of uh, uh, some imagery of, you go to some of the zoos, and you see all these cute little animals, right? Like you see cute grizzly bear cubs and things like that. And, and there's the signs. Or even if you've been to Yellowstone, we've been to Yellowstone. And, and the bears aren't in cages there, just so you know. Like you're in their territory, hence your food. And there's signs that say, don't feed the bears. That's there for a reason. Because you give them the appetizer and you're the main course. All right? They're cute and cuddly and everything, but they're beasts. They're carnivores. They'll have you. Don't feed. Our sin, our sin is similar. 
It, it can seem like in the moment it feels good. It gives us things that we've wanted. It's like these cute, cuddly bears. It's not that big of a deal. It's not that bad, right? We use those same excuses with sin in our lives, selfishness. Daniel talked about pornography, lust, gossip, lying, talking about other people rather than talking to people about your frustrations or angst, annoyances, how they've hurt you. Lying, just little lies. Just, just to make your image better, just to avoid consequences, prejudice towards others who are different from you, that bitterness and unforgiveness. No, I, I just need a nurse. Like they're not done being punished for how they hurt me. These these ways that, that we think it's not that big of a deal. Sin is out to kill you. John Owen is a a, a, a Puritan. Uh, from from several hundred years ago, and he has a book called The Mortification of Sin. Doesn't that sound amazing? Everybody go out and pick it up. It's actually a good little book, but but man, boy, that sounds intense. Mortification of sin. What he he lays out how do we get free from sin in our lives? And I love this quote be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Sin ain't neutral. It's a poisonous, deceiving deceitful devious enemy looks to take hold and devour you it always wants more the judgment that 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 god brings to the ninevites is that all sin all sin is judged by him and must if he is a loving god he must be just all sin deserves his judgment and all sin receives judgment. Now we experience that in the immediate here and now. The judgment on the Ninevites was immediate would be the destruction of them as a as a nation. That would later happen, in fact, because they would go back to their ways. But all sin has consequences. That's a way that we describe God's judgment is consequences that are here and now in addition to the eternal consequences after we die. I like Tim Keller in his book. He's walking through the book of Jonah, rediscovering Jonah. Again, I've got a copy, extra copy in the back there to take a look at. Great book to go deeper in the book of Jonah. But he says this about sin. The Bible does not say that every difficulty is the result of sin, but it does teach us that every sin will bring you into difficulty. We cannot treat our bodies indifferently and still expect to have good health. We cannot treat people indifferently and expect to maintain their friendship. We cannot all put our own selfish interests ahead of the common good and still have a functioning society. There are consequences. Generally speaking, liars are lied to. Attackers are attacked. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Sin is a suicidal action of the will upon itself. Did you hear that? That's crazy. That's, that's graphic. Sin is a self-harming kind of action to our souls. It, will, it is like taking an addicting drug. At first, it may feel wonderful, but every time it gets harder not to do it again. Here's just one example. When you indulge yourself in bitter thoughts... It feels so satisfying to fantasize about payback. 
But slowly and surely, it will enlarge your capacity for self-pity, erode your ability to trust and enjoy relationships, and generally drain the happiness out of your life. Sin always hardens the conscience, locks you in the prison of your own defensiveness, rationalizations, and eats you up slowly from the inside. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. There's consequences, judgment for our sin now. But that judgment, these consequences, are to remind us and reveal these ways These ways, these things that we want to indulge in, they seem good, but they're not. They're unhelpful, unhealthy. Sick to our soul. And ultimately, friends, when we live in sin, when we we live in this rebellion, when this, this sense of, I want to be God, I want freedom, there's the ultimate judgment that we all pay. We will get what we want. God, that's the wrath of God. You want sin? He's going to give it to us. He's going to allow us to give into it. He's going to allow us to live into it and have the consequences of our choices. If we want to be separate from God now, we will be for eternity. That's his judgment. Because he's holy, he's going to let us have our way. Not because he's trying to harm us, but he must be just. But that's not what he wants. There's questions about why isn't God, why isn't Jesus returned? He came once. He said he's coming back. Why isn't he come? Why hasn't he come back yet? And, and Peter explains God's patience. He's delaying his coming because he wants all to be saved. God's patience means our salvation. He's trying to delay to as many would come and respond to him in his grace. I think of my dog, Nacho. When it comes to our sin, isn't he such a cutie? It's not the greatest picture, but I love Nacho. He's so great. Secretly, I may have been overfeeding him while Jane has been gone. Public confession. I like my, 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 my dog's large. Anyways, that's totally off the point. I don't know where that came from. Um, Nacho's cute. Love him. He's such a great doggy. But when he's in a place where he's caught up and bound up, I kind of shared this a couple months ago. There's times that, that when we're on a walk and the leash will get around his legs or, or he's out front and he's on his lead and, 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 and he'll get wrapped up in it and, and he's hurt and he's whimpering and I come to help him to set him free from this thing that's harming him and then he looks like this. And he treats me as if I'm the enemy. And he gets defensive against me and protects himself from the one who's trying to set him free. He's so cute. (laughs) Even when he's, we call him, we call this the growly growly. He's growly growly. You're so cute, Nacho. God is so good. He's patient and kind. 
that even in the things that are hurting us and harming us, that we're involved in and sin in our lives, his, his work for you and me to correct us, to confront us, his judgment against sin is to set us free. And oftentimes we react and we get defensive against him, the one who loves us, the one who's setting us free, and we defend ourselves against him. How are you responding to the sin in your life? Are you setting up defenses so you can't hear, so you won't hear the correction? You're trying to numb yourself. Are you, are, are, are you chronically defensive and blaming others versus taking responsibility? Are you hiding? The Lord is good. He loves you. He wounds us to heal us. He confronts us to set us free. The Ninevites, how did they respond? Right off the bat. We talked about this last week. The dramatic response. Jonah goes into the city. It's a three-day journey to do his job. He barely gets in one day. He gives this really basic, overly simplistic message. And it's like wildfire. Everybody's, everybody's repenting. And they're putting on sackcloth and, 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 and fasting and getting on the dirt. And they're, and they're, and they're crying out to God. And, and it's not just, not just the people. It, it gets all the way to the king. You see this in verse... In verse 6, from the top to the bottom, every status of society, everybody, even the animals are got brought into this. Poor donkeys and the dogs and cats, they don't get any food. Their response is dramatic. We, we see that their response is, 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 is genuine, is real, because what does it say in the end? God saw what they did and how they turned And he himself turned from his judgment. He relented. Their repentance was real. They were cut to the heart. We see this. They believed God. This was a trust uh, in his his word that, that, that we are wrong. You know what confession means? The word confess in the scriptures means to agree. When we confess our sins, we agree with God. That we're disobedient. That we're breaking his law. That we're breaking relationship with him. When we confess, we're agreeing with him. They agreed with God. They trusted his judgment of them. Of their violence. their, their, Their pervasive perversity. As a culture just describing the words of the evilness or the wickedness of their ways. And, 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 and they put on what's called sackcloth here. This is like this like material clothing that's like this goat hair. And, and, and when you wear it, it, it like, it's painful. Like it's in, you intentionally wear it to cause yourself pain. Anybody wear clothes to cause themselves pain? I mean, skinny jeans kind of get there sometimes. But, you know, anybody like... You know, high heels, there you go. I don't wear them regularly, but, you know, yeah, I can imagine. They intentionally put this kind of garment on as a, as a dramatic identification that, that, that this is wrong, Lord. We want to feel in our body what we're feeling in our soul. This sin is wrong. The fasting. We want to overcome the sin. We want the sin to, to be removed from our lives. Fasting is a really powerful way that God gives us a spiritual discipline to help us overcome unchecked desires in our lives. Desires that are running rampant in our lives. Fasting is powerful. 
But even when Israel, when you read through the rest of the Old Testament, you hear Israel did a lot of things like this. They'd put on uh, clothes like this. They would do fasting uh, like this. And, and, and God confronted them. He said, yeah, you give me all these dramatic external kinds of displays. And, and boy, some of you guys are really good actors and you can really bring the tears. That's amazing. But your heart, you actually don't change. N- nothing changes when you do this. And he tells them through the prophet, he says, Rend, tear your hearts apart, not your garments. Don't just, don't just put on sackcloth and, and do these outward things. I want your heart. That's genuine repentance. That's a genuine response when you've, when you've broken fellowship with me. I want your heart to break. We see that this genuinely happens. In the people, the king says, we must turn. Let everyone turn from his evil ways, from the violence that is in our hands. That, that's, that's the concept of repentance. If you've ever wondered, what does repentance mean? What, what's that big word mean? And literally, the word repentance means I'm going one way, and it means to turn 180 degrees and go the other. Repentance means to turn. This Hebrew word for turn in this passage, in verse 8, is twofold. It means to turn from something and toward something. Turn away from something evil toward something good. It has both components. This is really significant in our lives. Oftentimes we're like, if I just stop this bad thing, I just stop the gossip, I can stop the lust, I can stop the greed and the hoarding, I guess, if I could just, if I could just stop the, the fear and the worry, I've just, I just want to stop that. But if we don't fill that space, then nothing changes. And it's going to keep coming back. Jesus gives an illustration of this where he's talking uh, with some Pharisees and he tells them, if you've got a house and, 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 and it's demon-possessed, and you cast out those demons and you don't fill it back up, if you don't fill that space, the demons are going to come back and they're going to fill it and they're going to bring some friends. It ain't going to get worse. They're going to have a party. This idea of repentance of what they're doing is not just, uh, uh, they, they need to address the sin. We've got to stop it. But I need to turn towards the Father. Sometimes we think, if I just do more spiritual things, then the bad stuff will go away. And I'll stop that. Or I can have both, even. And, 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 and there needs to be this turning from and a turning to if we're going to experience repentance. We see this. This is the evidence of a genuine repentance. It's internal and it's external. They believed God and they turned. God's God's confrontation of us, God's correction of us, produces some deep discomfort in our soul. This is called conviction. We need this conviction in our soul. We spend a lot of time in our society because of our prosperity to try to numb ourselves to feeling bad things. And we think that bad feelings are bad. And so we don't want to have them. Only have joy, only have the highs. And and we're so prosperous that we try to do that with with all our devices, with our food, Resources of pleasure, drugs and alcohol. 
God's conviction in our souls is necessary. We won't change if we don't receive and allow him to wound our soul to convict us of our sin. Paul says this as he's talking with the Corinthian church, and they were messed up, people. They were, they were jacked up. I mean, we can go into, it's messed up. Read, if you want to read like a soap opera, read the book of 1 Corinthians. It's, it, they're a hot mess. He says in 2 Corinthians, because it's just, he's dropping like, he's just, it's dropping fire in 1 Corinthians, confronting them to get them to turn. And 2 Corinthians is a letter in response to that confrontation. And he says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads us to salvation without regret. But worldly grief produces death. Consider how much diligence this very thing, this grieving as God wills, has produced in you. What a desire to clear yourselves. What indignation, speaking about indignation towards that sin. What fear, what deep longing, what zeal, what justice. In every way you showed yourselves to be pure in this matter. Godly grief produces repentance. It brings about change in our lives that leads to salvation without regret. But worldly grief, I call this satanic shame, produces death. This is something, friends, that, 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 that may kind of just feel like this is just weird. Like, do we pray? Pray for the conviction of the Lord in your life. Pray for godly grief. Because where there's godly grief, it will lead to change, to growth, to freedom. Pray for it. There's two things I want to explain here because there's so much shame that covers us as people. Shame was the first thing that happened as a consequence of sin when Adam and Eve brought sin into this world. This this, this, where the enemy wants to steal God's work instead of coming to him. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they ran away from God. They hid from him. The one who, can, who loves them and can redeem them. We need to understand the difference so we, friends, can battle against this because shame, as it says, produces death. It kills us. You'll never be changed. I want to just quickly compare here. You can take pictures of this to to review for later. But godly guilt is God-centered. Good guilt for our souls that we need. Godly guilt that we should be praying for that helps us change. Godly guilt is God-centered. It is remorse for a broken relationship with God. With godly guilt, it moves us to hate sin. Because of love for God. Think about this just in terms of relationships. People you love, you, you want to be convicted when, you, when you're harming them. You, you, you want that check in your soul. That makes us human. If we, don't, if, we don't, if we don't feel that conviction, friends, that's what a sociopath is. Hating my sin because I love God. Focus is on what Jesus did. God forgives you with the blood of Jesus. God turns his judgment in onto Jesus. God embraces you with his grace. God turns guilt into gratitude. Grace gives you freedom to take responsibility and change. Now, this is contrasted with what I call satanic shame. Go to the next slide. Shame is you-centered. 
self-pity. It fills us with self-pity for failing. Hating ourselves for being a failure. The focus is on our sin, on our behavior, instead of what, who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. Your sin becomes your identity. I'm a failure. I suck. I'm worthless. It becomes part of who you are. And you have to clean yourself up. You punish yourself. And you're hardening yourself as a result in order to avoid responsibility. Because shame's painful. Shame sucks the life out of you. This is what drives the majority of addiction, root, shame. What you've done or what's been done to you, shame. And there's no change. You try to clean yourself up. You try to do things, but you keep going back because you're driven constantly by this tension of a need for relief. And your worthlessness, your brokenness. So you deny, you try to hide it. You don't talk with others. You don't come out of darkness into light. You're not in accountability. You're depressed and you, that, that anger gets turns inward and, and then it turns to self-hate. And then you're defensive. You got to blame others to avoid taking responsibility because it's too painful. I'm not going to ask us to raise hands. Who does, struggles with this? Because we all do. Jesus wants to set you free, friends. We'll go back to the previous slide just briefly. Just want to, Godly guilt is God-centered. God wants to work this in you. He wants us, look to Jesus. Look to my son. I paid it for you. I'm going to clean you up. I'm, I'm going to set you free. I embrace you. I love you. Come to me. He wounds us to heal us. He confronts us to set us free, friends. I'm just going to put this slide up here for a brief moment here. The, the R's of repentance. You can take a picture of this. Come back to it yourself. But the R's of repentance include remorse. That brokenness in our soul. The sorrow. The grief in our hearts. Renouncing. Lord, I don't want this in my life. I don't want it to have authority in my life anymore. I want, Lord Jesus, to be free, Lord, from the gossip. From the bitterness. From the lust. From the anxiety. Lord, I want to be free from these things. I want you. I want you. And I receive his grace. Receive his kindness and his love for you. And then we take responsibility. What's that next? What's that action step? What does it look like to love him? To obey him? As as the king said, let everyone turn from his violence and evil ways. There's action. What is that action step to take? But then there may be restoration and reconciliation. You You need to go. And apologize. You need to ask forgiveness for someone. I've been holding, harboring bitterness against you. I, 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 I know I was hurtful to you with my gossip or with my anger that was unchecked. I need to confess to somebody else or I need to make restoration. I, I, I struggled with stealing growing up. And it was a pervasive problem in, in, in my young adult or young teen years. And when the Lord saved me and brought me to himself, one of the ways of, of restoration was, was paying those people back. Was paying, paying back for what I had taken and was stolen as part of my repentance. Not because I had to, 
Because I wanted to. Out of honor for the Lord. Is there restoration? Things that are to be done to make things right. These are the R's of repentance. As I mentioned, repentance is turning around. The other night, Jake Walker and I went to a concert. It was uh, Mercy Me, Toby Mac, and uh, what was the other one? Zach Williams. Can't forget Zach Williams. He's amazing. By the way, if you don't know Zach Williams, listen to his stuff. Absolutely amazing. And Toby Mac is 60-year-old and dancing on a stage. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I, I hope life goals right there. Then Jake and I, after the concert, we, we left and we're pulling out of the, we're pulling out of the parking lot and we're going to head home and, uh, and we pull out and, and I'm, I'm pretty convinced of my directional awareness and I, and I take a turn and I'm, I'm convinced I'm headed in the right direction. And Jake's like, you're going the wrong way, bro. I'm pretty sure you're supposed to go north and we're going south. No, dude, I know like this is the right way. We're going the right way. And Jake's like, you're taking me to the ghetto. You're taking me to the ghetto. I don't feel safe right now. You need to turn. We're not going the right way. And I was like, I'm so convinced. I'm like, there's evidence. There's a gas station. Now. I know we're headed in the right way. We're not headed in the right way. We were, we were not headed in the right way. I was going the wrong way. And I, I, it took me a while and I was a little defensive and I, and, but I had to, to get back on track because I had gotten well off track. That's what happens, right? When, when we're given into sin and we get off track. I, I turned completely around, 180 degrees, head back to get on the right path. God's calling and stirring in your heart, his confrontation of your sin this morning is to turn you around, turn you away from your sin, but to turn you towards him because he's grace. In Jonah, it says, God saw what the Ninevites did and how they had turned. And God turned his judgment away. God is just and he's perfect. He can't, he cannot not judge sin. He, he can't just like, we're going to sweep this one under the rug. Because their sins still require justice. Do you know what God did for the Ninevites? See, Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, eternally lived together. God and Jesus already had the plan. Jesus was going to pay for the Ninevites. You see, God was in his grace. Grace is always costly. To show you and I grace, friends, it's always costly. And God in relenting and turning his judgment away from the Ninevites, you know what he did? He turned it on Jesus, his son. You might be thinking, it's uh, like a stretch. Check out Romans 3. God turned from his judgment. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. This is the Ninevites. Their sins. You see, God was always anticipating, looking to Jesus, anticipating to pay the price to show grace at the cost of Jesus. But he didn't just do that from the past looking forward 
For the Ninevites, friends, when Jesus was on the cross, he knew you. He already knew your name. He already had you in his mind and knows the sin that you've already done and he knows the sin that you're going to do that you don't even have aware of and he paid for you in advance. Just like Nineveh, the grace of God that Jesus has for us is at his expense. And God's saying, come to me. I'm correcting you in order to come. I embrace you. I want you to know my love. I want you to be set free. It's at the cost of Jesus that he's able to do this. He wants you to receive that costly grace this morning. As we come, we're going to express that and experience that this morning through communion. We're going to, we're, 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 as a step of repentance, we're going to remind ourselves and receive from God the costly work of Jesus in our place. Jesus' blood was shed. His body was broken in your place. So you and I can turn toward God and receive his grace. God is correcting, confronting. He's drawing things in your life to the surface because he wants to set you free. And you can step out of the shame, friends. You don't have to hide anymore. I'm going to say this word. There's some of you in this room here that you're kind of on the precipice of some decisions. Or you're stuck in some decisions that you're about to make. That the Lord wants to say, I have something better for you. You need to stop. He's wanting to catch you right now. I see you. I'm here for you. I can help you. I have something better. I can set you free. Come. I love you. As we come to the table here, Jesus' body broken for you, Jesus' blood shed for you is such a beautiful celebration. God is good, amen? His grace is so good, amen? Repentance is turning from our sin and turning towards God's grace. As we come to the communion table here, this is open to anyone who is part of the family of Jesus. Come to the table. This is, these elements don't change in any way. This is symbolic, but it's powerful in the action that we're doing of receiving his grace, of receiving the cost of our sin. And he wants to set you free. We're going to have this passed out. Some, for those of you who are, who are veterans here at Grace, we oftentimes have you come forward. We're going to have you stay seated to reflect and meditate. And I want you to meditate and ask the Spirit, Lord Jesus, convict me. Lord Jesus, show me where there are things in my life that you want to set me free from. Let him do that work. Let that grief come. Let that conviction come. Let that remorse come to begin the steps and, and, and come to him to receive his grace. Before we get started in this, I have a prayer that I want to invite us to pray. And I'm going to read through this prayer first, and then I'm going to have us pray this together, okay? It's a little bit longer, but... Lord, I confess my desperate need for you. You have promised that if we will confess our sin, 
you will forgive us and make us clean again. Lord, I truly need your forgiveness. Repentance is on my heart and and lips. I want to turn around and head another direction, but I need your help. Lord, root out the darkness and and, and light up my life with your holy presence. Help me understand what went wrong. Show me how my destructive patterns first began. What did I allow to become more important than loving and honoring you? Why did I seek satisfaction in others or other things than you? Lord, restore new boundaries around my life. I can't flirt with sin and not be hurt. In restoring me, teach me how to say no again to things which could harm myself or my testimony. If my actions have wounded others, show me where and to whom I need to ask forgiveness or how to make amends. Help me to surround myself with positive encouragers who will hold me accountable and who will speak truth in love. One more. I understand that my repentance won't eliminate the consequence of my sin. No consequence could ever be as painful as knowing how my sin hurt you or how you suffered from it. For me out of love. Your crucifying death gave me eternal life with you. And one more. I know that you don't hold my sins to our account. You, that you remember them no more. And that you place them as far as the east is from the west. This both humbles me and fills me with amazement and gratitude. Lord, I receive your grace to replace my regrets and your hope for change. Thank you, Jesus, for your sweet forgiveness and promised restoration. I know that's long. But I believe this is important 